Hello, and welcome to Champions for NorCal Kids. I'm Wendy Dickens, Executive Director at First Five Shasta. And I am Heidi Mendenhall, Executive Director at First Five Tehama. We would like to invite you to join us as we highlight the great champions who work for the youngest members of our community in Northern California. Our goal is to share the wealth of our community with our community. Hello. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Anne. Hello. Hello, Heidi. We are so excited to be here today. Um, we have a guest with us. We have Anne Schulte from Chico State and Expect More Tehama. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim you as ours today, Anne. <laughs> cool. I'm, gonna, I'm happy to be a, um, a Tehama County um, supporter and cheerleader in that, in that role. You know, so I have been so fortunate to know Anne probably for gosh, almost five, six, 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 seven years now through um, our partnerships with Chico State through in Tehama County, um, specifically with Expect More Tehama. And in the last year or two, I've gotten to use her amazing um, connections to better uh, ground some of the work we do with university students. And so I invited her here to share about some of the just really cool work with regard to rural nature and, and um, CSU partnerships for, you know, maybe you wouldn't think of that zero to five and that colleges partner, but we do. And it's really beautiful. We do. And, you know, I think hopefully as things are progressing across the nation um, around the information regarding, you know, universal preschool and universal transitional kindergarten, people will understand why First Fives exist in our state. Um, but specifically, we'll start to be able to have a larger voice at the table around rural issues and the importance of getting people involved and understanding that. Um, and that really education starts from day one, you know, and that it's really um, necessary for us to have these kinds of platforms. And so, you know, first five Shasta, first five Tehama, we do um, participate in a variety of things and Reach Higher Shasta is our cradle to career um, as, you know, you just spoke about Tehama County. So I think it's awesome. And I'm so excited to hey. like, have, I have a billion questions like bubbling up in my mind about all of the work that you do, Anne. So well, I want to say, I want to say that you said that education starts from day one. And I also want to say that education is everyone in the community's responsibility, not just the teachers in the schools. Yes. Yes. So tell us your your three main hats, and I know you wear a lot of them. But what are what are your three main? <laughs> well, for twenty years, I was a teacher educator, and um, I worked in the School of Education at Chico State, and I prepared teachers. And towards the end of my probably the second half of my career, I became very interested in what it meant to prepare teachers for rural contexts specifically. Um, it's ironic that it took me that long to get there because I come from a rural background, and I teach mostly students from rural places, but we had, there's a lot of literature on how to teach teachers for urban spaces, but there's, there hasn't been to date very much about teaching for rural spaces. So I became really interested in that. And then um, I think sort of um, funny that I, I became even more interested in the um, collective impact work because I went to an economic development conference um, with my partner and I was going to these economic development sessions about placemaking. And I thought, wow, this is super relevant to preparing teachers for rural places. And I became really interested in the broader work 
of how community development impacts education in schools. And so I, I became um, the faculty fellow for rural partnerships in the Office of Civic Engagement at Chico State. And for a couple of years, I was, I was just basically the rural cheerleader on our campus. I was walking around <laughs> singing the praises of all of our rural partners because Shasta and Tehama and 10 other counties in the North State are within the Chico State service region. And I just started asking people, how far north have you partnered with our communities? And what have you done <laughs> in our service region? And, and frankly, they, they hadn't been doing a lot. And when they were doing it, I was hearing a lot of real deficit notions of who was in those places and a, a lot of mm, ego about how the university was the hub of innovation and we were here to serve those communities. And my experience after having been to one Expect More to Hema summit was, dang, we have to get on their bus. We have to, we have to go there and learn about what they're doing and um, um, become a part of that because we are totally underestimating what can happen in a small community. And sometimes, way more than can happen in a bureaucratic institution like the university. That is awesome. I, and it is kind of refreshing to hear because I do think that, you know, while there are some similarities to what happens within a, a community across states, across, you know, our state, counties, um, there are some nuances to being in, you know, a super urban and a super rural, right? And I think that sometimes there's a misconception as well, because Shasta County tends to be the larger of the counties up in this area that we don't have any of the kind of uh, rural issues, but we actually have very rural and frontier-like um, parts of our county that we still need to make sure we are addressing the needs for. And, um, you know, I think when people start to really wrap their head around the need to look at how do we make sure we're delivering education in the way that is going to be heard by both the parents and the children and getting it out to those areas that are in the most need um, of support. So it's exciting to hear that that's, you know, something that you began to really become passionate about. And um, we won't ask you all of the like curriculum that you developed, but uh, because we know, <laughs> but what are some of the key salient points that you would want someone to really be thinking about as they're moving into a, a topic around rural supports and rural education? Yeah, I think a lot of what I do now as the director of civic engagement in developing our work with the region and other communities, specifically around rural, is really I'm just trying to help people be more place conscious. Uh, and by that, I mean place matters. And we have place identities. Where we're from has shaped us and how we see the world and our experience of it. And where and we take those identities with us into new places and, and we make judgments and assumptions and uh, have perspective about other places based in that. A really good uh, salient example on our campus is I do workshops for students and I say, is Chico rural or urban and why? And the students every single time will sit at a table with people who say it's so rural because of this, or 
it only has one hospital and somebody's right next to them will say it is urban it has a hospital <laughs> you know it's they, they have a very different perspective right. on chico or they say chico's super white it's more white people than i've ever seen in my life or they'll say this is the most diverse community i've ever lived in and um so they don't i think that they just don't um expect people to uh use those terms to describe a, a place and i think we just don't talk about it and and rural is defined Thank so you. broadly and differently according to whatever government um, institution you're working with or whatever study you're reading um, it's often defined as what's not metro or urban like it's everything else it's by yeah, default like othered yeah yeah it's very, by default it's yeah. other Huh, that's interesting. I never thought about that, but you're right. And when you think about that makes me think like in turn, all of these grants and all these things that like specify what urban that is for urban areas. I wonder what they're looking for when they define urban or and rural, right? So right. Hmm. and it's very it's a very metrocentric approach. Like we only really care about urban uh, because that's where most of the people live. And then whatever's left, or if we have time we'll talk about the issues of the rural places. And it's it's very problematic because it often leaves us thinking very negative things, um, very deficit views of all of those other places. And then rural places are so different from one another. You know, like I work with rural people through the Rural Schools Collaborative. I work with people all over the country and, and in some cases the world. Um, and I spent a lot of time um, in, Cal in Australia looking at rural and remote in Australia and rural just isn't the same. You know, I'm from South Dakota originally, and in some ways it looks just like Northern California and in other ways it's completely different. And so you just, uh, it's just not easy to come up with one definition. And the best way I've heard to define it is if you think you're rural, you're rural. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know any other way. That's awesome. I know. Well, and I do think, you know, when I think about some of um, our little counties up here, and when I think about, you know, Shasta, my own county, um, and I think about Reading, which is the largest of the populated areas, um, it's still not super large. Uh, mm -hmm. We do have, you know, hospitals, uh, but we also have areas where you live off the grid basically or you don't have good cell phone service or you don't have good electric service or whatever the case might be or none you know you have to have your own pieces and parts so i think you know when we're thinking about that you know some people call that mountain frontier land instead of rural i mean so it is interesting when you think about how you're coming from your own area and deciding what rural is and i love that you're like well if you think it's rural it's rural yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very relative. I mean, it, it, the problem with it is it's just so relative to how you, where you're from and how you see it um, and the, the types of qualifiers you put on it. So Redding's, I think, technically bigger than Chico even by population, but it also doesn't have a state university. And so wow. some would then call that more rural than Chico because it doesn't have um, a state institution. But you right. Know, and so, yeah. Yeah. It's the, one of the biggest um, 
issues that we kind of talk about when we're thinking about those who wish to have, you know, a higher education in the realm of the four-year institution, right? When we think about all the kids that have to leave to go off to college, because the closest one is Chico State, then you have Humboldt, and then you have SAC, but those are a little further away, and you really, you know, not that it's not feasible to commute. I did when I got my bachelor's from Chico, but it's not feasible for everybody. It's not feasible for a good majority of people. People actually. And so the next best thing is here is a private college, which isn't terrible, but it doesn't fit for everybody, right? Again, it's not the fit that some people need or can afford. So it's interesting how all of that plays into what people define as rural. Um, like you said, the hospital, like, oh, you, you have a hospital. Well, you know, so I, try, I lived in Trinity County for a while. That's a very small county too. And they have a hospital. It doesn't do a lot necessarily for the whole population. They have to come down here to Reading, but it still has a hospital, but it's very rural in my opinion. Like, <laughs> it's very. <laughs> I think you also point to the, a really big issue for policymakers, which is transportation. And so uh, there is no public transportation for college students from Tehama County to get to Chico. There, there's no public transportation for them to use. And that limits some students' access to um, attend in that way. I know a former student of mine who was from Trinity, Trinity County, and she said that she hitchhiked to Shasta College, I don't know how many times a week, but every week to go to community college. Oh she Lord. hitchhiked off the mountain. That I, I mean, that's commitment. They do have a bus. That is commitment. Well, they used to anyway. I don't, I can't say that they still do, but they did have a bus that would go, but it only went like it was early in the morning and it was late at, you know, in the evening. Yeah, like yeah. it was, so From you had to catch it when they left and there wasn't yeah, like a yeah. regular like shift for it. Like, so if you didn't need to be to Shasta College until noon, you were kind of at the mercy. You were there by eight and that meant you were up at, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm super, um, Curious if you'd be willing to share some of the roots work. I mean, even maybe back before you had named it roots and kind of that journey um, with looking at, you know, just connecting to our students that are coming back locally to give back and, and learn through that. Yeah. So um, I initially, when I first became the faculty fellow in the Office of Civic Engagement before I became the director, I was really interested in building, I would talk to faculty and I would say, um, wow, we should really uh, invest in communities in the North State. Um, we should probably think about how we're getting our students um, who are from those communities to go back to those communities and take their knowledge with them or, or use the knowledge we're teaching them in those contexts. And everyone I talked to was like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> I go, yeah, it is a good idea. So then we just started, I literally just started collecting faculty and, I, and we just started meeting and we would just meet and we would say, I got the chair of the library, the dean of the library, and he was very interested in rural libraries. And so he became a real fan. And we just started talking and we started doing a little few projects here and then. We, here, here and there, we did Town Hall 2.0 with Salisbury High School in Red Bluff. And we did um, a mural class where we um, focused on a mural in Corning. And we just started doing things. We just started making connections, um, helping our students connect with some of the area communities. Um, and then I started collecting students because I thought, well, we should have some students voice in here as well. And so um, they are the ones who actually came up with the name Roots. 
And it, it used to have an, it used to be an acronym for something, but it was way too forced. So we just <laughs> decided it was enough to call it roots, North state roots, as, meaning um, maintaining this connection that students have to their home communities and being proud of that connection and not feeling like they have to reject that place to come to Chico. I love um, that. By the way, I, when we met with McConnell scholars a, a couple of weeks ago, by and large, they say there's a lot of stigma about going to Chico State because it, it means you really haven't left home. Even, even if you're from Moda. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. you did leave home. And we were we talked about that here. Like you did yeah. have to leave home. And yeah. 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 Um, so we started meeting and then COVID happened. So we were meeting as Roots was meeting on campus once a month, um, every three weeks or once a month faculty, and then we started meeting with students. And then we would invite partners to come to campus and occasionally some people would come. But as you know, Chico's a little ways away from a lot of places. And so not very many people came and then COVID hit. And I have to say that my job has been tremendously better as a result of COVID because people are far more willing to come on a Zoom meeting um, and connect through, um, the, elect, uh, the electronic media than they ever were before. And so now we hold all of our meetings um, on Zoom. And I like that because it actually flattens out the relationship. It doesn't depend on our partners to drive 45 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half to come to campus to a meeting where all of the faculty are sitting in the room because they just walked over from their office. But it allows us to be in conversation with one another in a way that doesn't really, um, that sort of reduces the privilege of being um, at the institution. And I really appreciate that partners will show up for those meetings and that faculty will um, have the opportunity to hear those ideas from um, those partners in those meetings. I just, and then the students offering their perspective and the students hearing partners and faculty talking like this about their little communities. They, yeah. I just think they don't hear that very often. Yeah. I think the, the, the feeling by and large at an institution is you came here because you wanna get out of there. Yeah, it's interesting. I have, um, so I went to a more rural place. I grew up in Tehama County and there was a piece of me that was so proud to be rural that I always introduced myself that way, but a hundred percent also used it as almost a way to excuse myself if I maybe didn't know something at the university. And I, I hadn't actually named that until you said that. I was like, I like I pulled up this conversation I had in a, in a biology class that I failed to pass, but <laughs> that's interesting. That's that is interesting. I think, you know, cause I've lived in, I've lived in California most of my entire life, except for maybe a year when my parents moved to Colorado for a nanosecond. But I was um, was born and raised here in California, but I've lived in a variety of places. Like I lived in Fresno, I lived in Clovis, I lived in uh, Modesto, I lived in Oakdale, I lived in, um, you know, Trinity County in a couple different, like very small places, never in Weaverville, but outside of Weaverville and, and up, up the mountain a little bit. But anyway, so you know, I've lived in, you know, some places that you would consider a lot more 
you know, urban, obviously, Fresno and Modesto, and then a little bit more rural. Oakdale, when I lived there, was much farming, and, you know, it's a little, you know, as things have grown, it's grown, and now it's, like, together with Modesto, but there used to be a, a, quite a bit of separation between that and Clovis and Fresno, same thing, right? Um, and so I never, like, really thought about that because, but there is some leaning you can do on like, well, I'm from Trinity County. I did I'm a high school in Trinity County. And there were times in my life when I'm thinking back after you said that, Heidi, that I was like, you know, I wasn't always proud of that. Like, you know, uh, because then it felt sometimes like people, you know, look down on the fact that I went to a high school that was so, you know, rural and like the, the high school I started at down in Modesto Oakdale, the whole freshman class with the same size as my whole entire high school all four years in Weaverville at Trinity High so I think you know but I was proud and then I'd be proud and I'd be like you know that's okay like I've still achieved great wonderful things and I'm still an intelligent and successful person um but it is interesting how <laughs> life works out right like yeah don't be judging me for going to Trinity High I probably like was much more successful actually I had great teachers they were wonderful so um Anyway, it's, I, it's I think about too our teachers, like just like when I say our teachers, like super small lens, say our preschool teachers, or like um, our even smaller than that, our Head Start preschool teachers. So when we attend national conferences, more times than not, there's one might get to go, two might get to go from the Head Starts in our areas, right? But then there's like swarms of these other, you know, like 15, 20. Um, and I think there must be some level just of feeling less than even just for the amount of money that we have in county in multiple in our region, if you will, in different ways. And I wonder, I don't know, I wonder how that influences the classroom. I wonder how that influences our, our children or what we can, how, how do we combat that just with the conversations and the relationships like you're talking about, Anne, and having people lift them up? Well, yeah, I think it's about uh, focusing. I mean, we would say this about for any teacher having a strengths-based view of children, right? So when we taught, when I taught teachers, it was about how are you viewing your students, not for just what they can't do so that you can teach them that, but what they're able to do, what are their strengths, what are their assets? And, and I think the same is true for communities. Um, and when teachers are from urban places, and they go to rural places or, or wherever they're from, even honestly, even if they're from a rural place, but they have adopted this negative view of where they're from because they have felt shame as a result of society, social media, um, whatever that has taught them to feel less than because of where they're from. And they're gonna go to another place that's like that. And they think, well, my job is to help the good ones get out. I heard someone say that once a teacher. Um, so if they see that place as not a place that anybody would want to stay if they had to, um, or if they, they don't even live there. I know this is kind of off topic, but I want to tell the story too, that um, I had a student from a small community who said, I, I don't think any of my teachers lived in our community. I think all of my teachers lived in Chico. And I said, well, how did that make you feel? And she said, why would you live in Gridley if she said, why would you live in Gridley if you didn't have to? And I thought, that is sad. You know, that is like really, um, yeah. that's really sad. So 
Sometimes the issue is that the small community is a place where not very many teachers live there. They come from other places and they bring with them a limited or incomplete understanding of that place, um, or they spend not much time inhabiting that place. And so they develop very narrow understandings of their students and their students' potential and the possibilities. Um, but mostly I just want um, adults, teachers and other adults to see young people as having a stake in their community as young people. They don't have to wait to grow up to be adults to, to care about what they want their community to be. And if we can start getting behind the young people and, and trying to elevate their voice and their perspective and inviting them to make decisions, be, par be a part of decision-making in their community so that whether they, whether they go away to college and come back or they never leave that community for whatever reason, that they that place is a place they want to belong and they feel connected to. And that's what's going to help our communities get stronger and thrive is if the future, the young people are the ones who are investing in it. But adults have to invite them to do that. And right. we aren't very good at that. No, because we feel like we need to be the experts in everything. I think that's such a great point. I think, you know, some of the small communities that I know about here um, in Shasta County and in Tehama County, um, and it's true for Trinity, um, for sure. You know, there are, there are people who work in one community, but live in the other, right? And Trinity County specifically, I'll just speak to that because I know it really well. You know, a lot of times the people who work there have never lived there. And there is a difference in knowing your community when you've lived somewhere and built roots. That's why I love that song. When you've got roots there somehow, like even if your roots aren't as deep as other people's roots have been there, um, you have a different investment. You have a different thought. And one of the things that I've learned over time, you know, I was just saying like, I, you know, I'm, I came from Trinity County. I wasn't always proud, but now I do say, you know, there are things that people can learn from rural communities that they have forgotten in Metro and in urban, right? They have forgotten some of the real relationship stakes it takes to create things to make them happen. And I'm not talking about like keep good old boy mentality, but what I'm talking about is building relationships so that they are, you know, something that you can rely upon and that you know that if you called that person, they would at least be able to give you an honest answer about what was going on and maybe not like do a favor for you, so to speak, but definitely be there for you to support however they can. And there's a difference in that. And I, in my field, when I listen to different stories across the state as to when you think about the small counties who have to kind of think outside the box and use each other and rely on each other in different service industries, as opposed to when you are talking to someone in a large community who has a ton of resources and can just kind of pluck it out at a moment's notice. Um, you know, so I think there's lots to be said about building that kind of relationship for kids specifically, because that means they're going to come back. And that's one of the other issues that I think that our small counties fight with, right? Like kids don't come back to live there because, you know, there are some downfalls to staying in the area you grew up in. If the socioeconomic status isn't what you think you want to have when you're an adult, or like there just isn't the industries that you could use um, to work at. But there's also that whole like, didn't feel like the community was that invested in me kind of thought too, right? So I love that thought and perspective that you've just kind of given us. 
And that can be particularly true for young people who might identify as LGBTQ or, um, or might be a minority population from a community. They might even have additional um, experiences that cause them to want to leave. But if a community embraces their young people, I think they will go a long way to ensure that some of them will come back because they know that's a place that they belong and are connected to. Um, another thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. Well, I just wanted to talk about a, a new initiative that we started this year out of civic engagement was um, called Giving Back Home. And we're inviting students from any community, honestly, but uh, in particular rural communities to um, participate in this initiative where they do a few workshops with our community service organization. They choose a, a civic contribution to do in their home community. And I call it a civic contribution because it could be community service, um, but it needn't be sort of that traditional approach. It's more like, where can you lend your voice? And so I worked with um, a student who's just a freshman at Chico State, and she's from Shasta County, and she is um, studying liberal studies to become a teacher. And she wanted to share her experience as, um, a, as a Hispanic Latina um, with a sister who has Down syndrome. And she wanted to share her experience in the system and how much she's had to translate for her parents, how much they've had to advocate for her sister's rights. It's just such a good story and such a good story that needs to be told to people who work in that field. And so I just helped her connect to some people who might be interested to share her story, give her an, a, a platform uh, for her voice, and that's her civic contribution. And so at the end of whenever, whatever they do, they choose it. I help them perhaps make connections if they need them, but it's their community. So I don't often have to do that. And then they do a little reflection on it and, and share that back with us so that we can promote that. And so it's a way that we can say, yes, we want you to be civically engaged in our community in Chico. We want you to connect to the things going on here, but we also don't want you to feel like you have to give up your connections to your home community. And we support those as well. I think that's awesome. And I think she has a lot of platforms I'd be happy to have her help with. All right. I, will I think there's a lot more than just, you know, people in that realm that need to hear it. I think there's, um, our community really needs to hear those struggles and needs to hear how it's affected those who are living here um, in, a, in a way that maybe has, you know, not been helpful. <laughs> so. I'm happy to talk to her. If you ever get an opportunity to let her know, I will be happy. I will send you. I will send you. <laughs> I know. It's like, I can see it on her face. She's sending it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we had, um, first five to him, I had an opportunity to glean um, some kind of research uh, pieces from, from your, the students you connected with us, Anne. And so they, which remind me, was it a public health class that was doing this project? Do you remember? Yeah. Yes. Um, and so through a public health lens, but the what I loved about it was that the, the teachers were designing this activity. It, I shouldn't say that. They were designing this lesson research project, but it was based in the need of 
the community. And so they first listened to things that First Five Tehama had going on and said, oh, well, if you're interested in lifting up your home visitors, um, then maybe we should do a deep dive. And they designed this research project with half their class um, to listen to the home visitors needs and then create um, kind of a continuous improvement plan, if you will, or some action items of here's where your strengths are and here's where we could see you improve. Um, they haven't shared it with us yet. But as you were talking, I was thinking this is, that's absolutely giving back to the community, right? Now, not all these students were from Tehama County in any way, but um, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it through that lens, right? It was, I'm really excited to share it with our home visitors. I'm excited to learn from it, but I had not thought of it as civic engagement rather than practicing your research uh, methods. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there's always multiple, you should know this of all people, I know, right? Like there's multiple purposes for every lesson that you give, right? Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to share with us, Anne? Anything that you think like, gosh, if you're listening right now and there's something that you can do to engage with Chico State students or with rural communities or students, this is, this is your platform. I know, right? Big question. <laughs> yeah. I have another great story about the coining mural, which I think is a good example, but maybe we have enough yes. of those. No, no, I'm oh, perfect to hear. So, yeah. so one of the faculty members that got uh, engaged in the Roots meetings was a uh, art professor. And he said, wow, well, we could probably make a class to do murals and we could probably partner with rural communities to do murals in rural communities, which is way easier than going through the paperwork to do it on campus. And um, because you just, you know, you just say, let's do this thing and people rally around, like you said, in a, a small community, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody and you just get yeah. shit done. Right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so, uh, so we connected with Tehama County because of course I have the best friends in Expect More Tehama and um, you just sit in one of those meetings and people know what to do. But um, <laughs> the librarian for Tehama County is also fabulous. And he said, yeah, let's, let's do some murals on libraries. So coincidentally, in this first murals class, um, there was a student from Corning. Uh, his name is Ryan, and he grew up in Corning, and um, Corning Library was one of the sites that we were allowed to do a mural. And so when the students pitched their ideas, of course, Ryan had amazing ideas because he grew up in Corning. And so um, he brought those ideas to class and what happened was he got to be proud of the community he grew up in, in his class and share information about that. And his class who probably would have never gone to Corning or maybe knew nothing about Corning, learned about all these interesting qualities about Corning. And then a small group of them went to Corning and they painted this mural. Oh, well, first Ryan had to go to the city council and ask permission to paint on this building because it was a city building. And so he had never been to a city council meeting in his life growing up in Corning. So he had to go and present there. Um, he, they had a conversation about the mural was of an olive picker and the olive picker was um, Latino and uh, the all white um, city council had questions about 
Well, in the, back in the old days, the Okies picked olives and there was a conversation about what is the correct olive vest to wear. And it was this really amazing opportunity for this young person to interact with the city council. And they, they listened to him and they deliberated about his image and they ultimately gave him permission to, to uh, paint this mural on the side of the library. Um, then his art teachers, Ryan's art teachers from Corning High School came to the unveiling of the mural and it, and it was this community celebration of their young person. And it was just such a perfect example of what we would like to be a part of in saying, we want our students to take their skills and assets back to their home communities, whether they continue to live there or not. And, and share that and be a part of celebrating them and where they're from and helping the adults in their community to see that they can bring something to this community. They can, they can have a voice and they can have a, a stake in how this community gets better. Um, and I just, it was just, I just love that example because it hit, it ticks all the boxes for me in terms of, civic engagement and, and rural, flipping the rural narrative and all yeah, of Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful one, especially since they embraced him and they had such robust conversation and an ability to kind of recognize um, that this contribution was really uh, important to the community, but also to him. And then, oh, I just think that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah and they, you know, they had conversations that probably would have never happened. Right, and centered around, yeah, a, a teen voice. Yeah. Right? That's awesome. I love that. That's, oh, that's the, that was a great story. I'm glad you got so it. You'll have to come down and Anne will come up and we'll take a picture in front of the mural in Corning. That can be our, our little shot. That's um, definitely good. All right. Do you want to do five for five? Yes, except for I just realized I'm now five minutes late to another meeting that I already rescheduled. So I'm going to let you do the five for five if that's okay. And I'm going to hop off. Okay. All okay. right. And All right. I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I wish I'd see you in person soon. <laughs> yes, let's do that. I agree. Oh, yes. Well, we're going to make a trip to Corning, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Bye, Heidi. Be safe. Okay, so we do this uh, segment around at the very end with a lot of our different um, guests because um, uh, we are Brene Brown fans. Um, and so we do five for five, I know. And so we, I'm gonna ask you five questions. They're really easy ones. You can't fail because they're your own answers and there's no right or wrong. So, and they um, are all related to basically, you know, early education, early childhood, right? So talk, read, sing, play. That's what we do here at First Fives and what we talk about. So they're really centered around that. So my first question for you is what was your favorite song when you were little to sing and, you know, be sung to our, you know, that your favorite song. <laughs> mm. wow. Is there one you like to sing to your kids? I don't have kids. Oh, you don't have children. Well, that's no. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have a song that comes to mind, but I can tell you that my favorite childhood book was The Little Engine That Could. 
to that because that was going to be my next question. So, okay, little engine that could. Great. Yeah, I still can imagine the little, is it Golden Years book or? Yeah. uh, I really loved that book. Yeah, the little, that's a good one. It's about, you know, staying persistent, staying on course. You can do this if you try, keep trying hard, keep trying hard. All right. So what is your favorite? Do you have favorite music now as an adult? Do you like to listen to a certain type of genre or do you have a certain song that you love to listen to at the top of your lungs? Which <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm a child of the eighties music era, uh, but I really like singer songwriter music. And I have a few like people I know who do it, but like James Taylor um, Van Morrison, um, you know, sort of that genre of music is probably my favorite. I like that. I'm not, I'm not really a, like, I don't listen to music as a hobby. I listen to it in the car and, um, you know, but I, I'm not, it's not my primary interest. What is your primary interest? What is your art. way of self-care, your way of uh, art? Yeah, I'm re- we're really into, I have a painting studio. And so I paint and I, we, we love local artists. We collect a lot of, um, we go to a lot of local art and appreciate um, people here in our small community making art. Uh, yeah, we got a, we have an art problem. <laughs> An art problem. I lo- that's a that's a nice problem to have. I like that. I like that an art problem. Um, all right. So, what um, books that you think are good for leadership, or what's your favorite leadership book um, that you read? Okay. So, I kind of got goosebumps right now because one of the most profound books for me in the last few years professionally was Trauma Stewardship um, by Linda by um, Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. And I don't know if you've read it, but it is about secondary trauma for caregivers. And um, I love it because I will tell you this really brief story about that. I She came to speak at Chico State and was amazing. And I talked to many teachers who said it was transformative for them. And then I worked with a group of teachers in a local community at, at north of here. And... Um, Seven people signed up for the book club to read this book. And they came to the first meeting and three of them said, oh, I thought this book was about my students' trauma. If I'd known this book was about my trauma, I I would have never come. And I said, wow, why not? And they said, oh, because I, I, they didn't really, it was a very interesting conversation and they said, one of them said, oh, I started reading it and I go, oh, this is about me. And, and then and three of them never came back because I think because there's a martyr syndrome about teaching. And so I have to care about my students and my students only. And I, I should not care about my own trauma or my own secondary trauma, but also it's very vulnerable um, with your colleagues to talk about your own Um, experiences that have shaped or to feel as though the trauma of your students is too much for you to um, metabolize. Laura Vandernut Lipsky, Laura Vandernut Lipsky would say it's about metabolizing that stress, that trauma. Anyway, that book is amazing. Have you read it? That is amazing. You know, I think, 
a couple of things when you were talking that came up for me was the fact that, you know, I worked in child welfare as a social worker in child welfare for 16 years. And, um, you know, when I first started, there's, there's that mentality there as well, right? Like we are, we are supposed to be stewards of helping people, not um, worried about ourselves. And we need to work ourselves to the ground and to the bone and do what we need to do to, um, you know, save people. Um, and so, but, you know, it's very um, important. We've addressed our own trauma as well as the trauma that is placed upon us when you go out into, you know, the community and you're investigating a, you know, a, a child abuse um, situation or a situation where there might be domestic violence or you come up, you know, you're called out because there's broken bones or whatever the case might be, right? And that does create um, a bit of a story for yourself. And, you know, we, you know, we talk about that with the care providers, the foster parents or the, you know, relative care providers who are also caring for these kids, because it's so important to know how to self-care. How do you make sure that you're not adding on top of the trauma you may have had already um, in your life and then not addressing what's happening and triggering you, um, which creates a lot of stress response. And before you know it, your health has deteriorated greatly because you've just let this um, kind of continue to bottle up inside. So it, it's a great it's a great way for people to recognize that in these kinds of professions, you're going to come across children with a lot of different things that have happened and that's going to affect you. But you've also come usually to the table with your own trauma and um, that definitely shapes who you are, right? For sure. I love it. I love it. And how do you metabolize that? How do you? Yes. Um, great. So one of the things that we also are very big on, and since, um, you know, I couldn't get a favorite childhood song out of you, I'm going to um, ask you, we do a lot around, you know, building um, families, building community, which I think you're very invested in as well. Um, so when um, you think about what the one most important thing um, is in building a community or a family or a, a you know relation. What do you think of? Uh, Self awareness, healthy mental health, and self awareness, and understanding why you react in the way you do, what traumas or stressors cause you, what stories you tell yourself. Brene Brown would say, yeah. I. It is the number one quality for a teacher. When I prepare teachers, I'm like, you got to get your head straight because you cannot go into that classroom and work with young people who are dealing with all kinds of things if you don't have your own um, stuff together. Right. And it's, you know, people act badly when they when they are acting out because they don't know how to cope with their own things. Everybody needs therapy, but especially caregiving people like social workers and teachers and um, child care providers need a, a way to really key into who they are and um, how that impacts what they do. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. I love that. Oh, I've had such a great time having a conversation with you, Anne. It was great to meet you. And um, I'm hopeful that we will get together and have another conversation. Um, I think that what you've talked about today, in addition to all the other things that we never got to touch on that you um, are an expert in, are such important 
it, you know, it's so important for people to hear. And it's so important for people to begin to reflect upon um, that self-awareness that you just talked about is, you know, very important, I think, in any profession, but especially those helping professions. And mm -hmm. I think especially when you're working with young children and as you're really helping develop the foundation of their future um, within their first five years specifically. So preschool teachers are, you know, in my opinion, some of the most important times. Um, sure. And, you know, um, so I appreciate your conversations and hopefully we do also get to take a picture in front of that mural you talked about. So yeah. Well, I'm going to send you a whole bunch of stuff in a minute. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you to the listeners. Please feel free to uh, catch in the links, any of the additional resources or information that we'll put in there from Anne and for um, rural um, information. And we'll also hope to hear what you have to think about self-awareness. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to visit our websites for any additional information, resources, or needs. They are listed in the podcast description. You can also email us directly at wdickens at firstfiveshasta.org or hmendenhall at firstfivetehema.com. We truly hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and can't wait for you to join us next time. Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make a difference in building resilience. You, you can be that can person. Be that person.